that. There we go. Welcome, everybody, to part two of our week-long live, uh, 2021 live stream extravaganza. Uh, this today, or man, this this part, man, uh, my whole pattern for intro is all thrown off because now we're doing a bunch of streams every day. So welcome, everybody. <laughs> today, we're going to be, or in this episode, we're talking about DaVinci Resolve. We have Jay Lippman. Um, YouTube tutorial extraordinaire and Phil Holland uh, joining us today, along with, of course, Matt Bach, our internal expert. Uh, I always like to start off just in case anybody doesn't already know, uh, give us a little bit of intro background of who you are and what you do. Uh, we'll start with you, Jay. Go ahead. Sure. Uh, hi, I'm Jay. Uh, and uh, I'm a full-time content creator. Uh, I used to try to call myself a filmmaker, but that's not what I am. I don't I don't make films. I make content for the internet. And uh, I do a lot of it in DaVinci Resolve. Uh, I do some creative projects, but my bread and butter here on YouTube is DaVinci Resolve tutorials. And... Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much me. That sums me up. <laughs> All right, and Phil? Uh, yeah, I'm a director and cinematographer in Los Angeles, and probably relevant to this conversation, uh, I'm a former colorist from Rhythm & Hue Studios. Uh, I've been doing digital color work since the 90s, which is uh, unusual. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for joining us today. Um, I guess we'll just we'll just get right into it. Um, I, I guess most folk would would do a lot of video editing and stuff in Adobe products. There's Premiere Pro, After Effects, things like that. Well, I think those are really it. But um, Resolve is has been growing, growing, growing. You hear a lot more people working with it and doing doing the whole workflow within it, um, I guess we'll just start off with like, why do you think DaVinci Resolve is, is blowing up? Um, I'll let Jay start. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, th I think there's a couple reasons for it, uh, actually. One, because there's a free version, which means it's really good for people who are just getting into, uh, who are just getting into editing. You know, because um, I, I don't know about anybody else, but when I first started, I was looking to get into this. Like, first of all, I wasn't even getting into this to, like, make videos full time. My, my goal was to make a YouTube video to promote a life coaching business. And I just happened to fall in love with making videos and oh, focused on that. But when I started, I was looking to make as little of an investment as possible. You know, mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, I didn't know about DaVinci Resolve back then. So I ended up with with uh, actually I started off with Filmora, which was very, very reasonably priced. But, you know, I, I had a cell phone and all that. Now you got this free version that can do basically anything you need to do, especially if you're just working on YouTube. You know, it's got all the tools that you need. Um, and I, I honestly think that's the biggest reason is it has everything that you need and you can get it for free and it doesn't take, well, at least back then it didn't take, I, I don't know. I haven't looked at the numbers, Matt, you could probably chime in on this, but back when I started, it didn't take nearly as much computing power to run resolve as it did to run the Adobe suite. So yeah, I that's, totally that's agree with you. That, that, yeah, one of the biggest reasons it's growing is that they have the free version and that the paid version is very reasonable. I mean, the paid version, was it 295 or something like 299? One of those. It's under 300, barely. And it's a one-time cost, and that's it. We're, versus like Adobe um, or a lot of others, they're all moving to subscription models where it's, you know, I think even like Premiere Pro, if you add it up, it's like $240 a year or, or something like that just for Premiere Pro. Um, so that's, you know, close to the same price as DaVinci Resolve, but DaVinci Resolve is a one-time cost. Like we're using in our uh, dongles, um, I think they're for Resolve 14, I think. Um, and like, they still work. They work fine. They work great. Like, like there's, there's, we've been able to upgrade every single time to the newer versions with, with no issues. So I think, yeah, the, the entry point being so low, I mean, free, so there's always a gig. <laughs> and then the continuation, you know, once you get up to the point where you need the higher resolution timelines or some of the open effects that are locked behind studio or noise reduction, you know, the things that are really, you don't need as a newbie um, are at a very reasonable price, like 200, 300 bucks is nothing as far as software goes. 
Yeah, I agree with that. And I'll even provide some of the historical relevance, I guess. You know, Resolve used to cost quite a bit of money, Um, you know, $40,000, $35,000, $25,000. It kept coming down and then BMD acquired uh, the company. And, you know, there was a lot of zigzagging on what they were going to do with the software. And notably, when they dropped the price down to $1,000, that was a big freaking deal because everything else in the industry at that time was, I think, $35,000 and up. Um, most solutions at that level. Yeah, so it was, a, it was a, you know, sent ripples. But the, the additional thing, uh, you know, besides there being a free version and an alarmingly affordable studio version, um, is the fact that they've had so much rapid uh, and positive software development. Uh, they're, they're constantly updating very quickly and adapting to, you know, any sort of codec revisions, code revisions, feature requests. This was, you know, 17 has a bunch of new features in it. Um, you know, just seeing that sort of, you know, foot on the gas pedal sort of development. And I think most notably in the last several years, uh, the two major ones was, you know, integrating the editing audio pipeline as well as integrating Fusion. So now you have this one piece of software that you can do quite a bit of your work in. Um, There's a few things that, you know, are obviously things you might want to go to third-party apps you know, other apps to do, you know, vector graphics or 3D or whatever. Uh, but the fact that it's all in there for 300 bucks, I mean, that's a, that's a ridiculous deal. So, yeah, yeah, I think you're, you're totally hitting it on the dot there. Like, oh, and also even that cost for a lot of people, it's actually not even that cost for the studio version because uh, DaVinci Resolve Studio is included when you buy any Blackmagic camera. I'm pretty oh. sure it's like any of them. Um, and also like right now, there's almost no reason to buy just a license because if you buy the speed editor, like their hardware speed editor thing, um, it's the same cost as a license, two ninety five, but you get a free license. So like, why would dongles. you buy just a license? I, I still actually buy the dongles, and it's because I travel abroad and. Mm. Um, you know, I have internet um, keys as well, or however they would call that activation. But uh, sometimes I might be in the middle of nowhere where I might need to literally install Resolve on a new box because, you know, customs didn't clear a machine or something. Who knows? Uh, so I, I just try to prepare for everything I can when I do that type of work. Yeah, I, I, I like the dongles, too. Like, we do a lot of hardware swaps and, you know, OS reinstalls and stuff. And having a dongle is nice. But... I mean, for a lot of people, uh, whatever, our software license key is easier than having something plugged into the machine. Uh, the other thing I wanted to touch on, you were talking about like codec support and stuff. And yeah, that's definitely a thing where Resolve is much better. Um, you know, I might even here share a screen walk real quick. Ah, okay. tips. Come on. Here we go. Uh, just because I want to show... Um, there, okay. So uh, uh, this is some testing we did to see like what, okay, what if I can get it, there we go. To like what versions of H.264 supports hardware decoding in Premiere Pro and then uh, DaVinci Resolve. Mm-hmm. And it was really surprising Like Premiere Pro only supports the most basic level of uh, flavors of H.264. That was loud. Whoa, what was that? Uh, whereas Resolve, like, especially like, it all depends on what the hardware support is, but it seems like Resolve, if there's hardware support, they have software support. Um, so like this whole thing over here, that's like it's all green check marks versus Premiere. It's like yeah, there's like two. Um, so when you talk about codec support, I definitely agree that uh, DaVinci Resolve is further along the Premiere Pro as well. You can do more than that in Re- in Premiere now. Uh, if I'm um, in the beta, they've added support for 10-bit 422 with yeah. Intel CPUs, but that's it. Like it is, yeah. it's bare bones. Yeah, I think that's actually been. Hmm. I don't even think it's totally summarized under color management, but Resolve's also really helped with HDR workflows. Um, I know a lot of people aren't doing that yet, but when I started doing HDR, it was like the hardest thing in the world to do. And they've also stepped on the gas to make a very robust tool set with the you know correct file tagging. And uh, that's that's been pretty important uh, for a lot of people who have to finish for HDR and SDR um, masters. And, you know, 
it, where Premier Premier struggles because it's an NLE first, you know, and they need to integrate more color features into Premier. And there's been some really big advancements recently. The tetrahedral LUT interpolation thing uh, we talked about a little bit before, I think, is huge because now you have basically no matter what software you're using resolve or anything in, in the color management tab uh in resolve you can turn on trilinear or tetrahedral LUT interpolation always set it to tetrahedral i've shown nothing but examples of why LUTs and LUT workflows and even some of the output transforms from various camera companies on log footage require that sort of interpolation uh, because you'll have slightly noisier footage you will have slightly maybe even artifacts in your footage um so tetrahedral will solve that like 99.9 percent of the time and make your image quality slightly better and it's been one of the least talked about things because i don't think it's a sexy concept at all it's <laughs> not how you get your teal orange cinematic color grade it's <laughs> it's like hey this will actually make your footage look a little bit better <laughs> yeah yeah, because you mentioned that before the stream, and I was like, again, one of these things, I was like, I recognize those words individually, but like... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, to, to give a real summary of it, you generally have three types of LUT interpolation. Trilinear is the basic sort of, you know, meat factory version. Tetrahedral is a little bit more complicated. And then you have tricubic, which is a bit more processor heavy. Um, and, it, and you'll see that actually supported in a lot of visual effects programs uh, like Nuke and such. But uh, and actually Photoshop is tricubic, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, for our purposes in the motion picture industry, I think it's the baseline thing that we need to use on all software that supports any type of setting regarding this. Yeah. So I have a couple of questions I wanted to ask you guys. And Phil, this first one, you might have more of an input than uh, Jay, but Jay, I'm also interested in your thoughts. Um, how important is it for uh, like the fact that Resolve has so much, um, I don't know if this is the right term, but like hardware support, like they have like their, their color panels and their speed editors and all that kind of stuff. Like, like with your background in color, I'm guessing that you're, you view that as being a big pro for Resolve. Whereas I think, can you even, are there things for Premiere for using like physical hardware things that like, does that exist for Premiere? I don't even know. Yeah, I mean, you, you can get control panels and such, but the integration okay. that, BMD has with Resolve and their panels is, you know, you can't really touch that. Um, if if you are determined to be a professional colorist and that is what you're doing day in and day out, that gives you sort of the Ferrari experience. Um, and that's, that's a huge thing. Um, there's other companies that make panels as well, but we're talking about significantly higher investments in uh, both the software and the hardware at that point. But... Um, yeah, Resolve's integration with their panels is great, and they make you know different solutions at different price points. I, I think it's useful. I actually, I've moved away from using panels um, <clears throat> like a long time ago, and it, it's more due to I find myself working abroad. Uh, I find myself working in different studios. Um, so being able to approach the software with a mindset that I don't care what I'm using when I interface with the software has become rather important. That said, I miss some of the sensitivity um, features that you can have, you know, with wheels and balls and whatnot. So, and obviously you can play it like an organ, you know, you can get really fast at doing things on the, the panels. Um, that said, you can also get really fast at doing it any other way too. It's just a matter of changing how you work. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I guess I kind of got to echo what you said, Phil. I, I think they can definitely be helpful, but I think they're definitely more helpful in the capacity of if, if you're a specialist, like if you're a colorist or if you're, uh, you know, just in audio. Because if you get panels for everything, I mean, your desk is going to be the size of your entire room. It's it's not it's just not practical, you know, and, yeah, and that's kind of why. Yeah, it'll look great. <laughs> make great Instagram content, but it it's just not practical, you know? So I, I got a couple 
things. Uh, the only black magic design thing that I have is the Ada Mini that I use for live streaming. I don't have. I would love to get my hands on the speed editor. Don't don't get me wrong. I think small stuff like that is great. Um, but like anything external that I have, like I've got a tour box where I can map keyboard shortcuts, and and that's basically the extent of what I do. Uh, and I've got a Wacom tablet, which makes color grading a lot easier than with a, a mouse. But uh, other than that. It's just not practical if you're doing everything. Yeah, I have the same uh, Wacom uh, setup, probably. Uh, I actually do it for uh, storyboarding and concept art as well, but I occasionally will use it in Resolve. Um, I, I think, you know, the general advice I have for filmmakers or even aspiring colorists, the, the order of operation you should probably explore is investing in resolve investing in the studio license it's literally not that much money at all when you when it comes down to it the next step up from there you need to start thinking about monitors and calibration and how you're getting a signal to those monitors mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and that's where your next big money needs to be spent it's you know the balls and the controls and stuff that's great but that's all about how you you're driving the car you you need <laughs> you need something that you can actually see and have a very good um accurate representation of what you're doing and that that's a whole other conversation because monitors are you know riddled with variety there's the conversations between oled and non-oled panels ips or whatever uh, and obviously, or, and you need something like a, a deck link to give an unbiased signal, you know, out to. You can now actually cards. monitor out things. through Resolve um, through a second GPU. Um, yeah, but it still goes through the uh, the drivers, so you still technically uh, color purists. We'll, right, we'll right, yes. You know, and there's some bit issues I mean, but, and yeah. stuff. Yeah, but if you're just going onto YouTube or something, like it's, it's not as important, yeah. I feel, as if you're doing something for film. But, but three like of saying, my like, five yeah, stations that I use Resolve with have BMD cards in them. The other two mm-hmm. I go out through the GPU. And it's just because, you know, my primary box has a card in it. That's just what is needed. Um, but that box also goes out to one, two, three, four, sometimes five displays if I want it to. Wow. Yeah. Cool. So, what else? I'm curious. So we, we talked about uh, like the all in app one app workflow is really nice. We mentioned mm-hmm. how like amazing it is for color. Like Resolve is like the color <laughs> like software well, out there. So if you're doing things like that was their thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. But what, where else do you guys think that Resolve um, like excels? I, I suppose like where where is it really strong compared to Premiere Pro? Do you have any? Like this is kind of put on the spot. Well, I think in terms of hardware. Um, the fact that it taps into that second GPU, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and, you, know, you can have a dedicated GPU, um, for your GUI, you know, they, they obviously promote that workflow. You still need a big boy GPU if you're doing, you know, 8k multi-layer, you know, stuff, uh, or a bunch of noise reduction or, you know, whatever. But, you know, a big boy GPU is not what it used to cost. It's, uh... You, you can get a lot done. I, I My general rule of thumb is if you're doing anything professionally with any camera system is you want about as many gigabytes on your GPU as your K on your camera. That's generally a nice rule of thumb. And anything you can go over that is actually even better. So if you have a 4K camera, a four gigabyte GPU is great, but an eight gigabyte one will do you better. Um, and I deal with complicated projects and array projects where we sometimes have 32K resolution and we split things up into tiles and it's just a pain in the butt. But, um, you know, there are, there are some demands to doing that type of workflow. Uh, yeah. And everything you're doing at that point is trying to actually cater to the end project uh, and how it's going to be delivered and adapt to that as much as you can. So, yeah. Uh, what else can I say about Resolve? Uh, the bin system's really clean. Yes, you know, love like, the bins. Yeah, the love bin the bins. Really great. I mean, <laughs> it's not unfamiliar if you if you've used Avid, Final Cut, Premiere. All the stuff is in there. Uh, mm-hmm. I like how it's actually divided up in Resolve. The media pool stuff's pretty sexy, in my opinion. It's really simple to get a bunch of clips in there. If you're ingesting a large quantity of footage. You know, all of these programs have a moment of like Zen where it's like, please don't crash. 
Get that yeah. spinning blue wheel. <laughs> please, please, please. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> just depends. Like my, I have a color test bed that I have open in Resolve right now that has close to six hours of clips in it. Hmm. And um, this this is footage from all types of cameras. Um, and I use this test bed. It's one of my test beds that I use to develop looks uh, for multiple cameras. Um, and it's just a project that takes a moment to open. You know, it's just, you know, just, it just got to load everything. But once I'm in there, I'm dancing between all those clips. I have critical time markers where I have my skin tone layout. I have my um, nature stuff, which usually has greenery or blues. I have some of my sunset stuff. I have footage from all over the world, like Japan, New Zealand, Europe, to show different types of daylight, because uh, daylight's actually different colors in different places. Um, so this, this test bed is actually critical for me when I do look development. And uh, it's probably the biggest project I ever have to deal with because it's probably the length of three feature films. Yeah. <laughs> but do you do you use? Um, I guess it's not really new anymore. But the the cut page with the uh, the whole timeline thing where it puts all of your clips in one row. Uh, do you use that much? Like that's one of the ones that like I've seen. I'm like, oh, that'd be cool. But like, I never use it. But... Let Jay I do. Yeah. yeah, I do. Uh, not not for the main edit, but there's a couple tools in there that are. I actually just put out a video about this a few weeks ago that I think are crucial for YouTubers who are uh, kind of you know especially focused on audience retention and not boring the audience and not getting them to click off your video twice. They've got two tools in there: the uh, the boring detector and the close-up tool and you can literally set it up so you know data shows that you know typical youtube audience attention spans about six seconds right so you you turn on the tool and you just put every six you know after six seconds this cut is boring and it'll show you where your cuts are boring and you can go through there and if you don't have b-roll to put in then you put your cursor where you need to put it you press the close-up tool and it'll do a, a a second layer it'll add another video track and do a, a close up it'll punch in like I don't know I think it's like something like 12% or something um, just to get that quick little punch it so I, I use it for that all the time I use it for multicam because uh, I think sync bin is just way better than multicam in the edit page and uh, yeah but that's about it I use those three <laughs> I use those three tools in the cut page everything else I do in edit Wow. Well, can, some of that I'm what, sure is just that's what we're used to. Like we're yeah. used to those edit pages where someone new coming in, they might use it more. But could we say what tool again? Uh, I think we're talking about the cut page in DaVinci Resolve, and I was just mentioning specifically the boring detector, um, which literally tells you when your videos are boring. I love that. Uh, the close-up tool, which will just add a, a second video track and give you a close-up of whatever shot you're on right there. Um, and also sync bin, which is a way to do multicam in the yeah. cut page. Cool. Thank you. Something else that we haven't really touched on that I really like and resolve myself um, is how fast the tracking is, like planar trackers and all that kind of stuff. Like if you've got to track a, a mask or your um, shoot, what is it called in resolve? Uh, magic mask. Is that it? Magic mask. Right. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Like all of that tracking stuff is so fast because um, I mean, uh, to be honest, like I learned actually a lot of, uh, you know, the video area on Adobe first. So I was used to, you know, tracking stuff in After Effects and you know, tracks, you know, it's like, you know, frame one, frame two, frame three. And then I got into Resolve and it was doing like a planar tracker and it it is so fast. It is just. Yeah, that's, that's been an area that they've excelled for so long and in tandem with full resolution playback it's it's sort of a hard combination to beat comparatively with other software packages so mm -hmm. you know if you have a subject moving through a frame and you need to brighten up exposure on her face or something like that that track doesn't take a long time in fact it happens mm -hmm. more often in real time on my system so it's it's uh it just plays through and you know you double check everything you may have to add a couple keyframes if something gets a little bit screwy but that's that's something that resolves had the corner on in terms of that performance for a long time um well and, and it goes into like fusion too like you can do the exact yeah. same track and if you're doing like uh motion graphics like you want a title to follow something yep it's it's instant you don't have to wait on it yeah, it's a big deal. Um, I think that was probably one of the 
reasons I think BMD even got interested in Resolved was that motion tracker because really? uh, they, they did have. Yeah, I mean, if you go back to the days of combustion and things like that, um, combustion actually had a decent one, but it's no longer around really uh, for mm. our purposes. And that was purely a VFX only program. It was a, a competition for fusion and nuke. Um but yeah, the fact that you have it now fully in a grading software um, where track mats and things like that used to be compositor fix stuff at VFX houses. Now having it in the grading software is huge. Um, in fact, that even in the Adobe world, you know, you used to send the footage over to After Effects before they actually had Lumetri and the fact that you could have the masks and things and tracking that way. So it's interesting. That's all happened just in the last few years, really, uh, the evolution of that, all certainly in the last decade. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, I know, Houston, you're probably going to itch to get some of those questions that are in the chat, but I, one more thing uh, sure, real sure. quick I wanted to ask you guys about, because <laughs> uh, we were talking about like masks and doing colors and stuff. I know one of the areas that I had a hard time with Resolve uh, was the node structure rather than layers. Um, you know, and that's true in the color panel and that's in uh, Fusion, Fusion especially. Like the color I, I kind of got, you know, I, I just kind of thought of it like layers just formatted differently. But Fusion was where like I found myself having to do like weird loops of things were going in weird directions. Uh, do you guys have any, any thoughts on that or like recommendations to people who are thinking about getting into Resolve, like how to think about the late, the node system? Node systems are an interesting concept um, for anyone working in the visual effects industry. If you have made shaders or things like that, it's par for the course. Um, so Fusion will represent the hardest that you have to deal with, you know, because you could be piping in different elements to get an end result. Um, but in terms of the color grading node structure, not too bad. Um, it's weird. I used to long ago, I um, used to refer to them as chains, you know, chain links. But the, the problem is, is you can have node bundles and things where certain things are on top of each other. Um, in which case, if you have any familiarity with a layer mindset, it's just a little bit backwards in resolve where your forefront layer might be on the bottom, like on a splitter node or something like that. Um, it's not that bad. I mean, I think once you get familiar with it, but if you're doing complicated composites and stuff in Fusion, it can get hairy. <laughs> you know, like, um, if you're adding particle effects, if I mean, you can do all sorts of weird stuff. Um, I saw a 3D motion layout that just blew my mind the other day. Um, and it, the node structure was just a hairy mess, but it made sense once I looked at it. But, you know, obviously somebody spent a lot of time on it. Yeah, I, I think it, the node structure, especially in the color page, I got it pretty quickly because I was able to look at, oh, okay, it's just like layers, you know, it, 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 it was pretty easy. Fusion threw me for a loop for a long time, and I'm still not, you know, that great at it. I'm, I'm not a big, you know, effects guy. Um but the best way that I found to think of it is actually, Phil, you kind of accidentally alluded to it. It's a pipeline. You know, you got mm -hmm. your media in, which is your source, and then you got your media out, which is the end of the line, and everything is in between that. And honestly, the best way to learn it, like people who are just getting into Resolve now have it the easiest, because with DaVinci Resolve 17, you got all these pre-built templates in the effects library in Fusion, and all you got to do is just drag one in there. You can see all the nodes, and you can start seeing what each one does, and looking at the structure. And it's such it it made it a lot easier to start yeah. That's a great way to learn Fusion is deconstructing some of those uh, presets um, just so you can understand like, oh, this is how they're doing this. So if you want to make something on your own that's moving the text a certain way, um, you know, without being super familiar with how to you know move something from A to B. And there's actually additional like, I mean, I don't know how many people do some heavy image processing work here, but you can do some pretty gnarly, cool stuff inside Fusion um, that is a little bit more technical. But the ability to have that inside a grading application is also very powerful. Um, and in terms of the node tree, Jay, I mean, you do tutorials. You know, I think one of my favorite, I, I kind of spy on the people who do color grading tutorials, you know, on YouTube. 
And I, I like to see what people have for their node trees, what they think their best pa- practices are, just everyone's different ways of working. And I enjoy that. I enjoy that to yeah. a level I probably should not enjoy. <laughs> I see some people building out node trees and I'm going, that's a lot of work. You know, that's a lot of work for <laughs> trying to get, you know, you know, certain things solved. But the general mindset of having a color correction and then separate color grading world is the right mm-hmm. mindset. You know, a lot yeah. of people separate color balance and exposure into two different nodes, um, hopefully still fairly early on in their node tree so that they're not setting themselves up for a, a complicated revision. Uh, for those who are not familiar with Resolve or anything color grading related, the general best practice when it comes to manipulating your footage is you have a color correction process. And if you have a bunch of different shots from the same scene, like if we have Jay walking through his house and, you know, everything that happens in this particular room is probably going to share the same lighting, but we'll have different camera angles and a a good DP, there might not be too much exposure or color variation, but just because of how the way light works, there might be a little bit of exposure balance, or maybe he gets a little bit closer to one of the walls and there's a little bit more warmth in his face. There's where a color correction can come in. So what you want to do is get all of your shots in a sequence color corrected before you think about a stylized color grade and those are two different processes really when it comes Mm -hmm. down to it it's the what's correct and then now where do we take it to get to what we intend it to look like that color correction can oftentimes be the more difficult part Because once you have it all looking the same, getting that creative looks a little bit easier. But man, I worked I worked on a project once. I was working on a a a TV show that never saw the light of day. Um, But I was the editor, and I was going through and I was grading, and I I was going through the color correction. And man, some of those shots. I mean, everything was shot on a Canon SL2, which is. I didn't film it. I just happened to have that camera. It's it's a it's a discontinued, you know, camera that was six hundred dollars brand new, um, and it some of those shots were just so oversaturated. The the. The exposure was set to auto on a couple shots. It was it was bad. It was really bad. And that color correction process just took me forever. Once I got it, though, the actual grade was easy. Yeah. Because yeah, if it all looks the same, you can just add a grade to everything and, yeah. and then just tweak it a little bit, you know, on yeah, shot to shot. you got to normalize it all first. Learn how to group your clips in DaVinci Resolve. <laughs> Yeah. Well, because you can do uh, in Resolve in the color page, you can do edits to a specific clip, um, or mm-hmm. you can apply it to yeah groups or all. I remember mm-hmm. there was one project a customer sent me before I knew that you could apply uh, you know grades to all, and I was like, why does this look different? Like I pull everything off and it looks different than the source, and it was because they had a. I forget what the name is for it, the term for it, but yeah, they had something applied to like all of their footage. Yeah. It's not yeah, yeah. uncommon for an output transform to be, you know, the last step in a in the chain, which you'll apply to all. And anything mm-hmm. you do in that group will be, you know, obviously to all of the footage, which is a nice way to imbue just a, a look if you have a nice baseline. Like if I was doing a cooking show all on one one set, there's a lot you could do at the end of the pipe to influence everything once it's all color corrected and balanced. And it would be mm-hmm. a very fast way of working. Um and a lot of people are discovering sort of the mindset of grading below your output transforms. I think that's been, <laughs> I think for some people has been sort of a, I don't know, a revolutionary concept uh, and sometimes hard to digest because a lot of people were just grading on top of Rec 709, which is cool. I mean, you can do that as well, but there's lots of different ways of working nowadays. And mm-hmm. at least from my perspective, I have a film background and Gosh, I don't know. I think I've shot one project in a non-raw format in the last 10 years. So I've I've been a very big vocal advocate of actually a pure raw workflow. So I try to have all of my footage. I don't like transcoding. Um, I understand that some people just need ProRes or something for fast turnarounds and stuff like that. But if I'm shooting with cameras that can create a compelling, high-quality raw image... Um, 
I love being able to tap into the SDKs, you know, set, set my red code raw settings, my area raw settings, whoever. Um, just to always have that live, that non-destructive copy just there in case you want to do a white balance tweak and tap into the SDK rather than resolve to do some of those corrections. Little nerdy, yeah. sorry. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. that's an option. Like that's that's pretty. Yeah. Cool. Wow. Uh, I, I'd like to touch on some. We have, we've had a few questions come through from from the audience. Um, we'll just kind of start with the early one. Um, Apollo Apostolos uh, from YouTube. He asks, "Black Magic makes a custom CentOS, I think, to run DaVinci Resolve. Do y'all have experience with Resolve on Ubuntu?" Not me in particular. Um, I've I've seen it running on it, but I, I don't have any of my systems here doing it. Linux. I, I can talk a little bit. In, yeah. In the, in the VFX yeah. world. So is what is Linux is what common in the visual effects world. So oh, I mean, cool. I'm sure. Matt's yeah. Yeah. I, I can weigh in on this a little bit. So yeah, definitely on, on the upper end, especially I, I think Linux is very common uh, because you can lock it down a whole lot more than windows uh, or, or Mac OS. Like they all want to apply updates and all that kind of junk in whereas oh. Linux, you can lock it down. This is what it is. Great. It's a lightweight OS. You know, you don't have to deal with as much stuff. Uh, the downside to it is, oh, it takes a whole heck of a lot more setup and work uh, because, like you mentioned, they have a custom CentOS uh, build, and that is true. But CentOS is actually changing. Um, there's a big uproar in the Linux community because they're, uh, oh, I forget what they're doing, but it's basically a bunch of things that's going to make it not the OS that it is today. CentOS mm. used to be amazing, and now they basically have killed it essentially. Um, so a lot of people are starting to move to like Ubuntu, but Ubuntu is not an officially cert certified OS for Blackmagic. And so people are having to find all these workarounds and all these hacks. Um, I know like audio is a common issue on, on Linux. Mm -hmm. um, so like once you get it dialed in and you've got it working, it, from what I understand, it is just like going to be amazingly stable, but it can take a lot of work to get to that point, And you're not going to want to like update your versions of Resolve nearly as often because it could turn into a two week process of fiddling with, you know, Linux and, and drivers and trying to get it to work. So if you need a lockdown, I think it's amazing. If you want to be nimble and be able to update and upgrade and you know use new hardware and software and all that, uh, it's probably not the way you want to go. <laughs> No. So and earlier when we were talking about the uh, controller uh, thingies, uh, <laughs> a great tower on Twitch, uh, he was wondering, what's your preferences in user control um, referencing the ball controller? I think most of us are just mouse keyboard, right? Mouse keyboard. I think a Wacom is very useful if you mm -hmm. include that because that gives you some of that granularity mm -hmm. uh, that you can get from a ball or a dial. But cool. um, you know, so, if you're if you're considering the full blown panel system for Resolve, there's a financial and space requirement with that. Uh, you know, that's the, those are interesting choices, and I I don't know. I mean, you can technically work faster with a full board setup, um, but I really only recommend that if that's like your full time job, really, or even your part-time job as a colorist or something, however you would identify that. I deal with color all year long, and I made a very active choice to just get rid of that because I, it was it was becoming a frustration in my life because I was being put into situations where I did not have my boards. Hmm. Um, that's just what it was. Yeah. Jay, Jay, I think you're muted. Somehow. Oh, no. I am muted. <laughs> There's a button for that. Uh, yeah, keyboard, mouse, Wacom tablet, and also, uh, I reckon, unplug it. Torbox. This thing is great. You can map keyboard shortcuts to all these little buttons and switches. And once you actually get used to it, you can fly around this thing and it actually made my workflow a lot faster. So if the, if you're going to get any controllers, I would get something like this where you can custom map, uh, especially if you're doing everything. If you're doing the editing and the coloring and the audio, get something that you can map custom shortcuts to uh, if you want to get something to make your workflow faster. Other than that, keyboard yeah. and mouse are just fine. 
It's one of those gaming it. mice that has like 20 buttons on it. <laughs> you, you, you goof. I just saw a thread on Twitter. Uh, it was like Thursday or Friday last. Um, they were going over like, you know, keyboard commands to make things faster. And, uh, and uh, somebody had chimed in and said, I have like half a dozen of those same keyboard commands mapped to buttons on my mouse. And I don't ever have to take my hand off my mouse. It makes things so much, so much easier. Cut, move, thing. Or yeah. I can't remember exactly, but it's like five or six different keyboard macros essentially tagged to the buttons on his mouse. And it's like revolutionized this. this I, I have a mouse preference and I own several of them. And I gave Razor a whole bag of money at some point. Um, <laughs> because when I, even when I travel with my laptops and things like that, I still use a full-size mouse. So all of my keyboard shortcuts or key shortcuts, I should say, that go on that mouse. And it's not like 24 keys or anything like that. It has just an up, down arrow, middle mouse click, all that stuff. All of that's consistent across my systems. Um, the one thing I would say to that that user or viewer, um, more than anything, get really familiar with the keyboard shortcuts. Um, if you're going to be doing editing inside any of these programs, um, that will save you more time than anything. And you've probably seen keyboards you can buy with color-coded keys. Uh, and what's nice about Resolve is you can actually customize your, your key setup Um I have a knack for software, so I've never gone through this. But if you're more familiar working with, you know, Premiere, you can set your keys up in a, such a way that it doesn't feel unfamiliar to you when you're in Resolve, which I know was actually a wall that a lot of people hit. We're like, I don't even know where the cut key is. Wait, what am I pushing? And yeah, there's actually an option when you install it. It asks. There's actually game. there's presets for that in the DaVinci Resolve. There's presets for Final Cut and for Avid and for Premiere Pro. So if yeah. you are switching over, you can just click the preset you're on your default keyboard shortcuts for whatever you just moved from it's pretty cool yeah yeah and one 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 just to get um i guess dc chavez on youtube asks is resolve using the gpu across all of the workspaces or does fusion lean more on the cpu so i can, the way I can answer oh yeah go ahead, yeah no you go oh, no you go first uh so in the the settings your gui you you set up to f f go through one gpu then your processing and rendering will happen through the additional gpu when you see real-time previews uh as far as i know well I actually, I can't say I know every aspect of everything that happens in Resolve or Fusion. Uh, so maybe Matt has some nuggets there, but um, the second GPU is mostly for rendering uh, as far as I know. Yeah, so, <laughs> no, no, I think you mostly got it right. Yeah. Um, you, you can, uh, like Phil was saying, you, you can define one GPU for nothing but your UI and one for processing. I think actually these days that's not as critical. I think that was more critical before we had as powerful a GPU as we have now. I think now mostly you can just use both and it should be fine. Uh, unless you're using a dedicated like low-end card, then yeah, go for it. Uh, the weird thing is with Fusion, I think. So the edit page, the color page, you know, whatever you're doing in there, it will scale with more GPUs. Um, it just depends on what effects you're doing. Like if you're doing noise reduction, it's going to be mostly your GPU. If you're just like processing footage like ProRes or even RED, depending on what your settings are for debarring and decoding, could actually be even more CPU limited than GPU. It just depends on your hardware. Um, Fusion, again, is the weird one. Um, one, I believe it's pretty much single-threaded, so it's only going to use one core on your CPU, whereas Resolve, the rest of it, can use quite a bit more. Um, two, GPU performance is funky in the Fusion tab. Uh, one, I believe it only technically uses one GPU unless you're doing um, you know, some of the things that it's pulling in from the other panels, like noise reduction. Uh, two, performance can actually get worse if you have more GPUs in Fusion. It's some, it's some weird, like, because, you know, Blackmagic bought Fusion and then they're porting it in. I bet it's some, like, legacy code where, like, they didn't have support for multi-GPUs and then Blackmagic added it in. Um, so if you have just, like, one or two GPUs, I wouldn't worry about it. Uh, but technically, if you have three or four GPUs, I forget what the numbers was, but you can see a small performance drop in Fusion if you have more GPUs enabled. I, I don't think it's enough that you really have to worry about it unless you are spending all of your time in, in Fusion. You know, if you're going to spend a day in Fusion, yeah, you might go into your preferences and turn off the third GPU so that you don't see that you know 10% performance hit or whatever. But for most people, 10% is like, eh, whatever. Uh, but so Fusion is definitely the weird one, I think. Hmm. 
I think while we're on that question, since we're talking about GPUs, and the question for Matt is, um, I definitely have talked to Puget about the diminishing returns of you know having more and more GPUs to throw at something. Uh, you know, Resolve really likes to have two, but the question is, is is there an advantage to having three or four? Uh, what's your take on that? It is definitely diminishing returns. I'd have to look up uh, some numbers, but I think it's like every GPU you add increases performance by like 50% or something. That's probably not exactly right. So one to two is a 50% performance bump. Two to three uh, would be 175% versus one GPU. So like it, it does flatline off. And actually, uh, a lot of the systems we were doing were only three GPUs. We, we rarely went up to four because you have to be like, all you're doing is noise reduction. <laughs> and it's like, right. okay, then you go up. Um, plus, once you get above three, it's hard to have three GPUs plus like a black magic card. And usually the people who are at that level need the like, you know, highly color accurate output. Um, also right now, uh, I think two GPUs even is a problem. Sometimes it's sort of power draw and thermals and three is like the most we can do, <laughs> like period, uh, just because GPUs are so heavy on power draw. Yeah, you'd be blowing circuits in your house or your office if you had four. Yep. Um, so yeah, I, I think most people in Resolve, like if you're just starting, you can get away with one GPU. And I think having one GPU that has enough VRAM is way more important than anything because if you run out of VRAM, you're screwed. Uh, so I think most people go up to like a 3080 or a 3080 Ti and then they add like a second one. But I, I'm trying to think, I think most people would get, be best served with two until you're at the point where time is money and like, yeah, making a $10,000 investment like pays for itself in a month or two months or, you know, whatever. So a finite return on your investment. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really the divide, you know, where the multiple GPU, generally speaking, I recommend having two GPUs or mm-hmm. one crazy big one um, if you're dealing with, you know, raw footage for many of these cameras. Um, you know, if you're dealing with 3D rendering or simulation or things like that, a lot of those programs are optimized differently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can tap into different cores, different amounts of GPUs. That's something you have to look at. But generally speaking, I don't recommend more than two GPUs for a decent system, especially if you're going to also have an IO card. Um, I don't know if Puget's gotten into making systems with dual PSUs yet, but I've we I've, used to. You know, it's a nightmare. It is a nightmare. Uh, I don't do that anymore, thankfully. Um, <laughs> and I'm I'm just happier to have a simpler world, honestly, when it yes. comes to that stuff. Well, in power supplies these days, you can get big enough ones where we're not limited by the wattage on the PSU, where we're limited pretty much by the electrical circuits that most people have. Right. Um, and you know, especially once you add in your monitors and stuff are usually on the same circuit, like it just doesn't make much sense. Uh, the other thing I will mention on GPU, because some people, when they're getting into it, they'll find these things. Uh, people will hear about like SLI and NVLink. Uh, technically, Resolve supports NVLink. Uh, in all of our testing, it does absolutely mean nothing. So yep, same. Don't, yep. don't worry about it. <laughs> like there's official support for it. You can like, it'll actually say like NV, NVLink enabled or something like that in preferences. As far as we can tell, it, it does nothing for performance. Yeah. So. Uh, Lila from YouTube. Um, was wondering. <laughs> uh, uh, sorry, there was kind of a, a goof back and forth in the chat about uh, referencing her full like screen name. But so Leela from YouTube. Well, what do you wish to see in DaVinci Resolve? Oh, no, you question. guys. Sorry. Yeah, uh, man. I I th- honestly would like a little bit more attention paid to Fairlight down the road. Um, I think so I, I got just for background, I got my start in audio. I'm a lifelong musician, you know, I started in recording studios. So um, there, there are certain things. There's a couple tools that I, I, I really like. Um, I'm going to say it from Adobe audition that I wish would, would write, would get added to, uh, to Fairlight, like uh, the, the leveling tool. I, I absolutely love the leveling leveling tool because you talk to a camera, especially in a talking head scenario, on a long enough timeline, you're going to get a lot of fluctuation in volume. That leveling tool can help balance it out. You can do it with compressors, but sometimes it ends up sounding weird. Um, 
I, I just, and I think some of the tools just need to kind of be revamped. I'm not a huge fan of their noise reduction tool, audio noise reduction, huge fan of color noise reduction. <laughs> not so much, not so much the audio noise reduction you get. Uh, it, it's just too easy to get those dreaded warbles. Um, I, I actually prefer, I do most of my audio cleanup using Isotope's uh, RX editor. I, I bounce everything over to there and, and do that. Um, just, I just think that it just needs a little bit more tweaking. I'd like a little bit more attention to be paid for that. As far as features, honestly, it's got almost everything I need. Um, I, I haven't really had to like download an external plugin for something I need. I've downloaded them for stuff that I thought was cool and that I would I would like you know maybe have some fun with like motion graphics plugins and stuff like that. But um, but I've I, it's got everything you need. I just would like some of the older tools to maybe get revamped and updated and work a little bit better, if that makes sense. Um, wow. Uh, so I I will reach out to them frequently when I have feature requests. Um, and often it's, you know, replying to a bug or something that a new feature had or something like that. But uh, on my big wants... I want a more robust curve tool set uh, mm. when plotting points on curves. Um, that's a big one for me. Uh, I still deal with 16-bit workflows as well, so there's uh, some stuff tied to that. That's a whole other process. But, um, yeah, just something a little bit more robust for curves. I use other pieces of software that have some additional features where you can kind of fine-tune the Bezier, uh, know where they are, in three-dimensional space or, or two-dimensional space, I, I should say. Like right now, Resolve, you just are putting something down without much of a knowledge of where it is. Uh, and literally in a 16-bit space, I might be doing something between a half code value that actually has a difference. I, this is hard nerd stuff, but you know, for people who are developing actual look looks that people use on a studio level it's important to have a little bit more nuance um there's a hue shift thing i keep coming across that i I, i've reported but i don't know what happens uh it's pertaining to some something happening in the color engine um editing wise editing's been really nice um, setting my ins and outs. I think I think on the timeline in the color page, uh, some additional scene grouping would be cool. Uh, in the film industry, uh, shot sequences are usually called like TL three zero one through, you know, three seventy two, and I feel like there's some finessing that could be done there uh, because when you have a client coming to you, and it's like, okay, now let's talk about the TL sequence. You can bring that up. Um, and show that to them. I think there's there's probably a couple of new ways to probably do that that haven't been implemented yet. Um, that's more professional colorists, like, okay, now we have to deal with this today, and then let's go back to Scooby-Doo at the bar or something like that, you know, that other sequence. Um, just navigating quickly like that. Because when you have 3,300 shots or something, it's just, you know, it's, it's a lot to digest. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There was one, there was a curve that I wish, I, I don't remember what it was because it, it came up like two weeks ago when I was working on something and I was like, man, I wish there was a curve for, it would be one of the versus curves, so like Hugh versus Hugh, Hugh versus, now to, to Da Vinci Resolve's credit, nobody has this curve and it just popped into my head that I was like, man, this would be really nice to have and I just can't remember it for the life of me, but come back to me i'll make a video on it when i remember what it is but there's there was there was a, a versus curve that that it didn't have at, at first i thought it was like saturation versus luma but we have that so i i don't i don't know and i don't know what the point of saying all that was either so Ooh. carry on uh, finessing, <laughs> finessing more values actually on lift gamma gain as well as everywhere else having more than two decimal points would be a big deal for me the reason why yeah. i say that um coming from a film background and dealing with certain things and you can copy paste and i think behind the scenes it does it even though what you see on screen it's actually rounding up or down depending on where you are uh, but if you're dealing with things like an eighth of a stop correction which is a thing uh, you'd like to be able to 
slap down those four decimal points or you know behind the decimal there so that's just a you know they could literally have a feature where that gets expanded i wouldn't be mad about that Hmm. Um, also the same for the RGB mixer. A lot of people are getting interested in doing their own color matrices and things like that. Uh, the mixer is not a perfect translation to that sort of concept, but is useful in that way. So I think there's room for improvement there. Yeah. Not, not nearly as nerdy as your stuff, Phil, uh, but the thing that I would like, I just want to be able to rearrange my workspace. Like, I think that's one thing that well, Adobe yeah. does really well is like you can, you can pop out windows and move them to another monitor. You can rearrange everything wherever you want. You can save workspaces, whereas Resolve is a lot more locked down. Like you can resize things, you can drag things, you know, the borders, but you can't like move things. And especially myself, like I love having lots of monitors. Like I have three monitors here. Like I love to move things around in different places. And the most you can do with Resolve is you can just have your, you know, video uh, preview be on, on a second monitor. So that's that's my like my little. Yeah, I, I agree with that. There, there's definitely something to be said. And there's actually two different style of GUI panels in there, um, which is a little bit weird. But and you know they they now have full uh, screen playback, which I can't remember when that was added, but it was added fairly recently. Recent. Yeah. Uh, I, I like that moment where I'm working on something, even though I have it, you know, going out as a clean feed elsewhere, where I can just put it full screen because my my main grading display is an OLED, and it's um, it's just nice for me to really see the black levels on that particular display. Um, you know, and then I just, I have to right now my setup is OLED and IPS, both are high end calibrated displays and then when i'm actually mastering projects i usually go out to multiple different um displays just to see does it look good on a variety of tvs does it look good on certain tablets you know certain phones you name it Mm -hmm. yeah somebody in the chat said want more customization on dual screen mode i can actually agree with that i can agree because i i often especially if i'm working with like multiple multiple video tracks um I, I'll have dual screen on, but I'll have it in full screen timeline mode so I can see all my tracks at the same time. But it's got the timeline on monitor one and everything else. I'm, I really wish I could switch that without actually having to switch which one was my primary monitor. I, mm-hmm. I don't know why. It's just very, it's very uncomfortable for me to... <laughs> Ooh, I don't, I don't know why. It's a like, mental thing, but I don't have the option yeah. to do that. So a quick toggle sort of situation. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah, just be like able that. to drag it around. Like right? yeah. that really is an area where I think Adobe is <clears throat> well in front is UI customization. I sometimes like using a dedicated display with a three monitor setup for just my scopes. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone else does that here, but I find that is also really useful just to have that full screen. Um I think there's some concepts that could be tied to there. I think there's some cleaning up that could be done on the scopes as well, um, just graphically. But uh, I I use them judiciously to do all sorts of things, uh, even exceeding color correction to look development. So, yeah. Yeah, and I do want to say, though, that, like, that's my nitpick, but I think their layouts that they use are pretty good Mm -hmm. anyway. So, like... It, it's it's I I feel like it's a nitpick rather than a like I won't use Resolve because I can't drag this window over there. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no. I I think it's fine. I just think there's some improvements in terms of how stuff is drawn, uh, mm-hmm. especially now that GPUs are a little bit bigger. I think we can get a little bit more of a cleaner like waveform. Um, just just a hunch. I mean, I could be wrong. I I know other companies that have different types of displays. I even think the CIE plot's not exactly 100% accurate, but that's just me because uh, it looks sometimes wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah. It looks like Jim Robinson says it, there's a menu. It's on the menu. You can toggle the displays, Jay. Just Interesting. Roll. I haven't seen that. I know I can, I can switch which one is my primary display. Um, <laughs> The, the problem is it's only in the edit page where I have that problem. The, the tool, dual screen layout in every other page I'm fine with. So I don't want to have to... I mean, oh, yeah. I don't want to be switching. Yeah. 
And then I think this will be a perfect one to, to wrap up because we're just a little bit toward the end of our hour. Deddy on Twitch asks, what would a sales pitch be for people to use Resolve versus you always hear people on Adobe or Sony Vegas or Final Cut Pro or whatever? Ooh. I mean, we kind of went over that at the beginning of this stream, right? Like, um, you know, I I mean, you're you're talking about two different things here, though. You're talking about Premiere Pro and Sony Vegas, and those are two very different, you know, softwares. I I worked extensively in Premiere Pro for a while, and then I, you know, and I've tried out, I've done a few reviews on a couple different versions of Sony Vegas, and they're totally different software. Premiere Pro is high level. You know, you, you're you're going to be editing films with this. It's got all the tools to help you do that. You get Vegas is made for content creators. You know, um, people people like me, but I'm I'm a perfectionist, so <laughs> um, I I would say one, it's it's free to try. So there's there's no reason why you shouldn't at least give it a go. Um, but but the fact is, I don't think there is a sales pitch. I don't believe that there is such thing as the best software. There's only the best for you. And the fact that DaVinci Resolve has a free version that you can try, download it, try it out. And if you like it better than what you're using now, you got yourself a free new piece of software that you like better than the one you had before. And if you need more tools, it's a fairly cheap upgrade and you don't have to pay for it ever again. So that's that's my thing. Yeah, I'm 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 a little bit weird. Um, I I have to use all different sorts of software. So if someone sits me down in front of Avid, I could probably get work done. Uh, If I'm on a Mac, PC, or a Linux box, uh, I can get work done. Um, And I I think from a broader scope and mindset, I think having a familiarity with the tools is very useful. That said, when you start looking at the strengths and weaknesses of each software package, it's going to allude to what you should be using. Resolve is a very robust color package which has a very streamlined editing setup with some really decent audio controls jay mentioned that there's more you can do in audition same you can do more in pro tools um so there's there's definitely work that can be done there if you're finding yourself dealing with audio heavy workflows those are considerations and i do a lot of round tripping outside of resolve when i'm dealing with audio or graphics or things like that so round tripping is still a thing in my world the thing that Resolve allows me to do is edit and do color all in the same package with a little bit of compositing and visual effects if I need to do stuff like that. Um, So that's super cool. If you're talking about things like Sony Vegas, really good for editing. Uh, I don't think it has the most robust color tool set uh, (laughs) at all. Um, same thing for Avid. It's it's a it's a Meat Factory editor, and Premiere has the Meat Factory editor with a color engine, and and that's where Premiere kind of fits in. Um, and there are different strategies for color grading the material as well. So you, you have to just kind of think about those mindsets when you're looking at it. Mm-hmm. I would also implore you to look at what professionals are using. And I'm not saying you should do everything that professionals do, but if you notice that an entire film industry is using, you know, the majority of it's using this software or this software, you should probably learn how to use something that everyone else is using if you want to be hireable um, and get, gain some proficiency. Um, and it's the same for a lot of aspects of professional industries. Yeah. 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 Yep. yep. The other thing I, I'd add on um, as far as like a sales pitch, I'll go a little more sales pitchy. Then I think Jay went. You know, so first of all, the fact that like Jay was saying is you know, I don't like free sales. No, me either. Well, I'm not selling anything, so I can do this. Um, uh, but also, I think one of the big things with Resolve is that it is a. Um, I don't want to really want to call it a jack of all trades, but you can do almost anything you need to in one app up to a certain level. Um, so like Jay was talking about, like you know, audio, you can go a certain level in Fairlight, then you have to go out to Audition. I'd say the same thing in Fusion. You can do a lot of stuff in Fusion. But at a certain point, like After Effects is probably going to be a better fit. Um, So that's the thing I really like about Resolve is that you can stay in one spot and you can do most of the stuff you need to do up until you're a certain level of um, professional. Uh, But like if you're like a hobbyist or you are a, you know, you're not doing super complicated stuff, 
Um, I, I personally really like the fact that it's all in one spot. It's one timeline. It's one project file. There's no like having to you know, handle project files across multiple uh, applications. So that's what I really like about it. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you, everybody. That does bring us a few minutes over our hour. So we're going to wrap it up. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for joining me today on for our live stream extravaganza part two, day, day one, part two. Um, it was, this has been great. I, man, I learned I, every time we do a stream, I learn a lot, but you guys really went like way beyond my expectation. This was amazing. Thank you guys so much for this. So, um, yeah. And I always like to thank the audience as well for joining us. Um, we have a whole week's worth of content going out, to, um, this week. Um, tomorrow's only one stream Wednesdays, two, one, two, um, for the rest of this week. So definitely keep an eye out on our YouTube. And um, before we finally go, is there anything else that Jay or Phil would you like uh, to shout out or tell anybody anything you want to wrap up before we go? I just put out a video this morning. Go watch it, please. Jay's got a really great channel with a lot of Resolve tutorials. So if you are interested in like Resolve and moving to it, definitely do t check out Jay's uh, channel on YouTube. It is, it's a great channel. And you do... Uh, streams every Wednesday, is that right? Jay? Yeah, they've they've been gone for the last couple of weeks. They should be ah. back if not this Wednesday, then next Wednesday. I've been dealing with family things, hmm. not bad things, just busy things. I uh, my my one thing is I do release something called Film Color, uh, and we're about to have release three. And I will say this release more than previous releases is very kind for a resolve workflow you can use it with other things if you're you know determined but uh because resolve is basically the broadest used color grading software in the world right now i couldn't ignore um <laughs> uh couldn't ignore that for any longer basically so cool awesome well again thank you everybody for joining us today and um we'll see you tomorrow at 1 p.m pacific for uh day two part one <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you.